WDBM East Lansing. Bringing you sports from NBA to NHL to NFL and more. But more importantly, bringing you the full rundown on MSU Spartan Sports. We cover it all. Get us on the phone at 432-3893. And now, the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Hey, what's up, everybody? You are listening to the Spartan Sports Wrap here on the Impact 89 FM. I'm Scott, back here with you. With you, as always, sitting across from me is Pavel, joining us once again. What's up? As always. As always. As always. So, there was some big news, big trades, big signings going on with Detroit sports It's a busy, busy day in all of sports. It was crazy. It was crazy. Couldn't believe it. And the Detroit teams are right in the center of it. Very rarely do you see that happen. I I can't say I'm too surprised. The, The main thing that happened today, the Pistons made a trade, which... At the end of last season, the Pistons lost in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals to the Boston Celtics. Joe Dumars, the uh, president, GM, director of operations, the Mr. Everything for the Pistons now, said that no one was safe on the team. He was willing to trade he said anybody. Gonna be changes, yeah, made. changes will be made. He fired the head coach, um, and nothing happened over the whole summer. Brandon talked about it at times when he was in here, that... We needed to make a move. We were going after Carmelo Anthony at one point, going after Josh Smith. Nothing ever materialized. Well, today, we finally got a trade going through. Back with the Denver Nuggets, the Detroit Pistons traded Chauncey Billups and Antonio McDice to the Denver Nuggets for Allen Iverson. And also included in that was uh, Chick she- Sam, who was, I, I guess he's on contract with maybe? the... The was Lakers even, drafted him for the Pistons. Something, something weird. Pick. Yeah, a conditional pick. Uh, he is apparently on the roster, and they just tossed him in. So, Allen Iverson is now a Detroit Piston. And, go ahead. Well, I'm just uh, we traded two starters: Chauncey Billups, who's an All Star, and Antonio McDice, and brought in a future Hall of Famer, current All Star, Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson's 33. Both McDice and Billups were 32, 33, somewhere around that age. Did you hear the news after the trade went through? The Nuggets announced that they're not they're going to buy out McDice's contract right. immediately. So I wouldn't be surprised if McDice goes right back to the Pistons. That's because what I was thinking. McDice was complaining about having to move again. He doesn't want to move. He wanted to finish his career in one, yeah. one he, spot. He said he said publicly that Detroit's the only team he's willing to play for. Granted, he. Had some great years with the Nuggets he way did. back when. Before his knees yeah. just started to give out on him. That's where he, he really established fantastic. himself as a power forward. He was the Denver center. Nuggets yeah. for a while. He was the only him thing they had going. Dikembe. Yeah. But then, Allen Iverson, I was looking at the numbers, and the the tough thing is, is we tried to Chauncey, who's a legitimate point guard. He And a fan favorite, too. A town yeah, favorite. Of course, Everybody of course. loved him. But we bring in now Allen Iverson, who isn't really a point guard. He's more of a shooting guard. He looks to score first. Granted, his numbers, he had 7.1 assists per game last year, which is very good. And he just kind of never really got along well with Carmelo out there. Is what the two main problem super was. eagles clashing. Exactly. And that's what Denver's hope was. They had him for about two years, worked together. They made the playoffs, but didn't do too much. And then Brandon and I were talking earlier today, and... I think the main reason they brought Allen Iverson in is because they really want Stucky to learn from him and really want him to 
model his game after him. Because Allen Iverson, he's 33. Last year, he averaged 26.4 points per game, 7.1 assists per game, three rebounds, and two steals. So third highest, he's the third highest point average in NBA history. And it, it, like you said, it's going to give Rodney Stuckey a bigger role on the team. Yeah. Uh, Joe Dumars has a man crush on Allen Iverson. He's had it for a long time. That's He's tried true. to get him that back when true. he was with the Sixers and on the trading block, so, and that didn't pan out. And it's interesting, they were talking about it on Pistons Live before I came in. Um, it's going to put Rick Hamilton in a sixth-player role, sort of. So he's going to have to learn right. sort of to come off the bench and be that production. And it's going to be interesting to see if he actually accepts it and, you know, gets put on the bench, gets that starting role taken away from him. Mm-hmm. And the one good thing, it's Allen Iverson, he is one of the toughest players you'll ever find. Like It seems like an Allen Iverson highlight reel is him taking it to the hoop and just getting knocked around because he's tiny. I mean, he's got to be, what, maybe 6'1", and 170 pounds, I'll give him. I, he might be a little bit more, but he's not big. But last year, he started 82 games. 82 out of 82. And I'm, he's very durable. He's always played a lot of games. He's always wears a bunch of braces and everything and sleeves and whatnot. But He gets it done. Yeah, he does. He's electric out there. He provides excitement. He's gonna put a. He's gonna sell tickets, oh, a lot more tickets. Oh, of course. And he's one of the top tier NBA players right now in the entire league. He's a future Hall of Famer. Absolutely. And so I like it. He's what? Thir- he's thirty three. Mm-hmm. He's still got some great years in front of him, and this well, puts them. The other thing is, is he's in the last year of his contract right now. So we basically just we can decide if we want to try to sign him again after this or not. I'm just kind of surprised that it happened only two games into the season. Because they did it, they tried it before, bringing in somebody who has a kind of a volatile personality and kind of clashes with teammates and seemed to work. I do recall they brought in Rasheed Wallace and won the championship with him. Well, I think this trade might have been sort of talked about in preseason and, you know, in the summer, late summer. And I think they. After two games, we're seeing the GMs saw their teams and didn't really like oh, yeah. what they were seeing after two games. I granted. think Denver's played a few more. I think yeah. I think Denver's played four. So I think they wanted to shake things up and you know better do it right now at the beginning of the year and let your team mold and gel together rather than bring them in at the middle of the season and ruin your chemistry. So right. let them get used to Chauncey and Denver. Let them get used to Allen Iverson there, and they're going to gel and they're going to become part of that chemistry right as as if they started the season with them. Right. Now, and then Allen Iverson, I'm pretty sure they have a press conference scheduled for tomorrow, Tuesday at 3.30, I think, to introduce him to the fans and everything. And hopefully he'll be playing later on in the week. Now, the other signing, big news, which kind of figured was going to happen uh, if you were paying attention much throughout the week. The Lions signed a quarterback, and... I don't know. I'm, I'm John still Kittner's torn. Brother. Yeah, not not quite. Uh, the Lions signed former quarterback who went who retired earlier in the year and came out of retirement, Dante Culpepper, who played for years at Minnesota. He was a Pro Bowler, had some great years with Randy Moss. He was part of the most prolific offense of the time back in '01, I think, with Chris Carter and Randy Moss on the outside. And Kevin Smith, Robert Smith, Robert Smith, Robert Smith running it, 
and the Lions signed him to a two-year deal. Now, the main main reason there is John Kitna obviously is put on injured reserve because of his back. So they might be saying that they might not keep Kitna. Well, no, I I wouldn't say that necessarily. I mean, Kitna's out for the whole year. You can't get a man back once you put him on injured reserve. And now Dan Orlovsky apparently is out at least two weeks. And it came as a shocker to us. He sprained his thumb. He sprained his thumb in the game against the Bears yesterday. And he played the entire game. He and I didn't see it happen. I wasn't paying enough attention. Apparently, he injured his thumb on the first play of the game. He still went, let's see, I've got the numbers here somewhere. He still threw for 292 yards, a couple touchdowns. Granted, he had two interceptions, but it seems weird that he'd play the whole game and do that. And he, we were talking, we said that he, it seemed like he really came into his own, and you could tell he was an NFL quarterback. Yeah, I mean, he played well. I was going to say, I was thinking of what I was going to say tonight, you know, last night watching the game, and the one positive you could get out of that game was that Orlovsky really showed some promise, showed some potential, and really came into his own. Granted, if you really think back now, he made two beautiful passes to Calvin Johnson for a touchdown and Sean McDonald for a touchdown. But right. then at the end of the game, when they were trying to throw it up for Hail Mary, I mean, he overthrew them by a lot. They were not yeah. very accurate. So now that you say that he had a thumb problem, then... It actually shows, you it know. Like, and then, of course, there's, it, he could have had treatment on it. He could have done something. It could his have adrenaline given an injection have, or yeah. something. Yeah, and you might not notice that. And then after the game, once it starts swelling up because he's not using it, it could have gotten worse, obviously. The thing that I'm surprised is Drew Stanton's probably still not going to play. He's, he's, still, he's had a thumb problem, and he's been out, but he was suited up, and they've just... The Lions have said before that they he don't plan. He is the plan, last resort. Yeah, they don't plan on having him play this year. He is absolutely the last resort. I don't think it's a good situation for him. I, I think he needs to become a free agent and look elsewhere for a job, maybe as a backup well, and work your way in. Oh, yeah. The Lions, it's so stupid what they're doing. I mean, if you want to think about it, they are 0-8 now. No wins. Zero wins. They're the last team now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cincinnati, Cincinnati beat, beat the Jacksonville, Jaguars. and we have zero wins. You're starting to lose fans. I mean, the last home game didn't sell out. It was blacked out locally. Why not give the guy who grew up in Farmington Hills, went to Farmington Hills Harrison High School, suburb of Detroit, played at Michigan State, in-state. He's a, a fan favorite. He was loved at MSU. Lots of people want to see him play down there. And they're not giving him a shot. I, I would absolutely agree with that. I mean, give him his one shining moment. Give him a start. See what not he can do. Not even a start. Let you him never come in. Know. Just... You never know. He might, he might spark that offense. He might have just the most amazing game and warrant a start if he didn't start that game. Or probably need the team start. in rushing when he comes in. Jeez, they ran for like but 50 if he's, if he's healthy, yards. I mean, why are you still even keeping him around as a third quarterback if you're yeah. just not going to use him? Well, the, the other thing is they said he's not quite healthy, and they want him to be fully healthy before he plays. Well, that's just trying to get the media off your back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know. We'll we'll get more on that Lions game a little later, how they kind of blew it against the Bears. But the big the big game, the amazing game of the weekend, for, well... There were there were a few amazing games, but the one we had the most vested in 
was obviously the Michigan State against Wisconsin game. Michigan State-Wisconsin. It was a win that we needed desperately because if we would have lost that game, we'd fall into the same old Spartans team. We just won a big game against U of M, and you, fall it, flat. It, it would make it 1-5 after knocking off yep, Michigan. Exactly. And Wisconsin came in, they've been struggling. They were top 10 team to start the season, preseason number 9, I believe. They came in, I think, 4-4, four and four, maybe? Yep, yep. And fresh off their first win of the Big Ten, yeah, earlier the, no, the last the previous week. Yeah. So and we were just getting dominated. We did not lead that game until with seven seconds left. Of course, if anybody missed it and hasn't heard about it, Brett Swenson hit a forty-four yard field goal with seven seconds left to give us the lead, twenty-five twenty-four. We held on. We kicked off, and they. Tried a few laterals and crazy craziness ensued on that, but nothing happened. They ended up going back about 20 yards, and we won. It was just ridiculous. We thought that we were out of the game. You and I talked. There was a penalty called on us, Brandon Denson, with about 2 minutes and 20 seconds left or something. He got called so roughing for roughing the quarterback. the quarterback. Yes, and gave them an automatic first down. We had We might have had a couple timeouts left then. All they needed to do, Wisconsin being, all Wisconsin had to do was run the ball. Just run the clock out. Eventually they went to a third down and one. And they were kind of in field goal range. They were on about the 33, which would be a 50-yard field goal. That's very tough. But they next play they ran it, and they ended up running it all the way down to, I believe, the four-yard line. And it was just, it was over. I mean, all they had to do then was take a knee. They didn't even need to score because there's not enough time left. We had no timeouts, no way of stopping the clock. There was holding called. And then a false start. Well, holding brought it back to a third and 11. And I think, I don't think, was there a false start added on yeah, after that? it was a false start too. Okay. So then they had, yeah, third and 16, they had to, they ran the ball so that they could run some more time off the clock and then punted. Well, they were... They were out of field goal range now, so they had to punt to us. So we had probably a minute and 30 seconds, a minute and 30 to two minutes, somewhere in that range. And Brandon, Brian Hoyer, excuse me, geez, Brian Hoyer led an amazing drive. He knew that all we needed, we were down by two, 24-22. And he knew that all he had to do was get us in field goal range, get us to the 30-yard line, or closer. And... I don't know how Hoyer was able to hold, keep his composure in that game because his receivers kept dropping the ball on him. There were eight drops in that game. And when they weren't dropping the ball, Brian Hoyer wasn't really putting the ball in a good position. He was overthrowing it, and he just did not look great. He, When they weren't dropping the ball, he basically missed wide-open receivers. A few times. And it was painful to see. It was. But it was still, I couldn't believe the amount of drops. Even on the last drive, Chris... Chris D. Rucker. Chris D., Chris not L. Rucker, came in at wide receiver. And it was the first time I've seen him in a game. And he dropped, I think he had two drops on his own. But on the last drive, he had to play, I think it was like out route to the sideline. He could have caught it and run for a while. Instead, he bobbled it and didn't even get the completion, didn't get the catch. And then he had a threw a big pass to uh, uh, 
Blair White. Blair White and Cunningham caught another pass. Cunningham caught it for like another five yards to get us in. To closer. get us right in. Yeah. It ended up 44-yard field goal. No, it was um, when we took the ball, he threw like a 40-yard pass to Blair White. Yes. To the left side. Then it came down to third and third down because D. Ruck, Chris D. Rucker dropped like two balls. He threw it on third down, big play to Charlie Gant. Yes. Who got away from his receiver, got, got away from his defender. That's another 20, mm-hmm. and then another 5 for B.J. Cunningham, who and got he, injured early in the game and was, came back to make one more catch. He was knocked around. It was the one where Hoyer kind of overthrew him, kind of left him out to dry. He was yeah, put him in a dangerous coming spot Coming over the hit. middle and threw it a little yeah. high and a little behind, and he got crushed by the safety. But he was able to come back, shake it off, and made a huge catch for us. I think when he, when he went down, he was in... In play, so the clock was running. There was about mm, 20 seconds. And so the field goal unit sprinted on. We had no timeouts left. Sprinted on, got set up with about 15 seconds on the clock. But it was scrambling. And everything was just going haywire. Wisconsin actually called a timeout with seven seconds left. And lots of people are still wondering why they did that. Because you figure we'd have to kick it under some stressful conditions. Well, it was 44 yards. Brett Swenson was 3-for-3 three three at that point, had already hit a 50-yard field goal, and were set up pretty much right in the middle of the field. And he figured that Swenson was going to make it, and if he made it, then he wanted at least a little bit of time to be able to run a play. That's what I think that he had to be doing, the reason but, that he had to do but that. But why don't you call a timeout right as soon oh, as yeah, P.J. Cunningham is down? You have there's about the 24 question, seconds man. left. Yeah. It was about 24 seconds left. You call a timeout. Swenson makes it. You get the ball back on a kickoff. You still have about 21 seconds left. I think you have more than one play. I think they were probably debating it. And once they saw that we actually got set up and had time to kick it, and if if it would have been a mad scramble and snap it at one second when we just barely got set, they would have let it go, I'm sure. But once they saw that we were set up and were able to get kind of ready, then they realized, well... We'll just call a timeout and make sure we're set. So they're waiting for us to mess up. Exactly. And Swenson, in the post-game press conference, he took the podium himself, and he was saying that it was one of the best kicks he's hit in his career here. He just knew when it came off his foot. He said he turned around halfway through the kick. Like, it was halfway there, and he knew that it was good. And we were... We were down there, right by the goal we were post. Right under the yeah, goal post. Right under the goal post, and we knew that it was we were good. Going insane. You could hear the sound off his foot. You knew it was perfect, just end over end. And the thing that I love is that Mark Antonio said after the game that they practiced the quick field goal unit running onto the field. What two, three years ago at Ohio State, the oh god, ten second field goal unit was co- a complete cluster, and. Mm-hmm. It ended up getting blocked, and Ohio we State only return, had 10 men returned on the field. it. Absolutely, Ohio State returned it for a touchdown Your and booty. Com- changed the complexion of the game. Changed the season. Absolutely, that ruined our season yes. right at, at half. That was the famous Mark John Antonio, L. Smith quote of, "The kids are playing their tails off, and the coaches are screwing it up with a little more emphasis." And look at all the that, difference but. a coach makes a unit. He emphasizes the perfect things. He stresses the smallest of details. Even if you don't have that 10-second field goal unit play at all, you know you don't have to use it all year. 
it might come down in the national championship game or a Rose Bowl or a bowl game. You finally will right. get to use that 10-second unit. You've been practicing all year. It's it's a very it, – it goes back to discipline, really, that they knew who needed to be out there. They got out there. They got set, and they executed. And that's that's the thing. That's – it's it's a different team. I don't know. We've said it every week how it's a different team. And, and those are the intangibles that Mark D'Antonio brings. Absolutely. Yes, Not yes. just what you see on the field, but stressing it every day in practice, discipline, putting your foot down, and not letting guys have any room to make any error. Yeah. In, the, in that game, I mean, we we seemed out of that game. We were down... 24 to 13 with 9 minutes and 19 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Cuz they and they scored on a 32-yard touchdown run. And it it took the wind out of our sails and the students what the lacking student section was silent after a while. Well, after that. that touchdown that made it 24-13, I saw around the stadium, I was on the field, I was looking around and everybody was heading for the exits. There was a lot of people heading for the mm-hmm. exits. And mm-hmm. Shame on them because they oh. missed one of the greatest finishes. Oh. Oh, yeah. Well, we were getting, we were just getting beat up all day. The final numbers: Wisconsin rushed for 281 yards, and MSU ran for just 25. Now that's a little misleading. The, so sacks, the sacks are added yeah. in there, so any yards that Hoyer lost on a sack are added in. But still, I think Ringer ran for only 54 yards. But then, some people might not know. They said after the game that Ringer was sick with basically the flu all week, and he lost 13 pounds. He was playing at 192 pounds rather than his usual 205. And, I mean, for anybody who's had the flu, had been really sick for a week where you lose 13 pounds, you don't have much energy to get up, get to your couch, and watch the football game, let alone play in it and just run it still 21 times. And not just that, but... The beating he took from that Wisconsin defense was brutal. I mean, they got to hit; they hit him every chance they got. Oh yeah, and they stopped him at the line so many times, and he was just—he had no energy. Right, he could not. The, run. the scariest part about the game is, yeah, Wisconsin ran for a lot of yards. Both Clay and PJ Hill were over a hundred, but their offensive line just dominated us. Just manhandled our defensive line. It seemed like the line of scrimmage was moved three yards downfield. And their running backs, those running backs are huge. P.J. Hill's got to be about 260. And if he gets momentum, if he gets started, if he's not touched until three yards into his run, he's already got his momentum going. It's kind of tough to knock a man that big back when he's already got that much of a head of steam going forward. And... Our linebackers just have not been playing well lately. Seems like they're guessing a lot rather than reacting to the play. And I still think that Greg Jones is very—he's leading the team in tackles, but he still hasn't been in as good as he can be, and as good as a lot of people expected. And Adam Decker has kind of just floated through. He made that one big play against Iowa. He hasn't done a ton since then. He's out on the field, but he's not really doing a whole lot. He's he doesn't mess up too much, but he's not he's not making an impact. It's not like oh, Adam Decker had a great game. I saw him make plays. You don't see one way or another, and that's been the problem with our linebackers in years past. 
where they don't make plays good or bad. They're just there to take up three spots on the field. And, I mean, we had, our offense was, it was okay. Hoyer, he was, ended up 19 of 44 for 252 yards. It it should have been 27 of 44, which is better. Not great numbers, and that's including a touchdown. B.J. Cunningham just played. Dropped a touchdown. Oh, it, it was like he was playing a sick joke on everybody. He caught the ball, took a step, and kind of just was trying to tuck it and dropped it on the one-yard line. Going into the end zone, nobody was going to touch him. And I just couldn't believe it. Ringer had a drop. Um, we already talked. Rucker had a few. And there were just a I don't few. think it was much Christy Rucker's fault as he, the Brian Horges did not put it in a great spot to catch it. I mean, it was right over the middle. And I think Christy Rucker heard footsteps. And oh, I'm I sure. Mean, I'm sure he was a little scared. Yeah, and that's the first time he's been in, and he knows the the magnitude of that position that he was in. But I always, you hear, always hear people argue, if you get your hands on it, you're supposed to catch it. Well, yeah, that's kind of true, and that's nice to say and everything. I actually got to use some of their wide receiver gloves, like brand new gloves from their game from their sideline used them. I just had one on my left hand, and I didn't drop a single pass when we were playing a catch. I could catch the ball with my thumb and index and middle finger. I mean, those gloves do not let go of a ball. If you touch the ball, you basically catch it. I don't know how there's so many drops. I mean, could be that the quarterback's throwing it hard enough where it can bounce off, but it's just kind of a lack of concentration. But I was really impressed with what D'Antonio said. He's he didn't he didn't get mad at Cunningham for that because it was a physical error. It was, well, in my mind, it was kind of part mental because he there had to be something in his head. It's not just his hands that couldn't catch that ball. But he said when he came when Cunningham came over to the sideline, he patted him on the head and said, "Don't worry about it. You'll get it next time," and encouraged him because he gets mad at the mental errors. If it was a dumb penalty, ran the wrong route, something like that, he'd be upset. Physical errors, you. They're gonna happen, which that that was big, and now the Spartans are sitting at eight and two. We're second in the Big Ten. Penn State, Penn State still Ohio undefeated. State, we're both Penn State off. Yes, and we go in and play Purdue, who beat Michigan in in just On a, a hook crazy and ladder week. play. Yeah, hook and lateral. It was it was just crazy, a crazy week in the Big Ten. Like if you look, every game was decided by a touchdown or less, and Every game except for Indiana against Central Michigan was decided with under a minute to go. And we'll show it tell you here I've got it. Let's see. Purdue beat Michigan forty eight to forty two. In the game winning touchdown, it was the hook the guy ran a hook and hook in and lateraled it just like Boise State against Oklahoma with twenty six seconds left. And they won, obviously. Northwestern beat Minnesota, which was huge for us. And they beat them 24-17. And that, they had a pick six, uh, an interception, return for a was touchdown. With 13 seconds left yes. in the game. Minnesota had missed two field goals in that game. Their automatic kicker suddenly could not make anything and went right through the hands of the Minnesota receiver, Decker, and went right into the hands and returned it. Wow, he had nothing but blockers right in front of him, and it was amazing. Seven seconds left. Yep. Yep. And then the 
the last game, uh, Central Michigan actually beat Indiana 37-34. Central outscored them 10-zip in the fourth quarter to win that. And then Illinois beat Iowa 27-24, and Illinois kicked a game-winning field goal with 24 seconds left. Iowa is the best team in the Big Ten that can't win games. They're 5-4 and four right now, and they're, they're a very, very good team. They just cannot seem to win. Their defense can't stop anybody. Yeah. Their defense keeps making so many mistakes. Sean Green had another 100-yard rushing game. He's rushed for 100 yards in every single game this year. And it just does not result in wins because of their defense. Yeah. And then another game, it's not necessarily the Big Ten, although you always hear about them around here, Notre Dame. They lost to Pitt in four overtimes. Longest game in both schools' history. Really? Yeah. Wow. I, yeah, that, four overtimes. Notre Dame missed a field goal when they had the ball in the fourth overtime, and then they gave up a big run down to about the seven-yard line. Yep. And then Pitt ran the ball, put it in the middle of the field, and kicked the field goal. And, I mean, that game, I think the final score is, what, 36-33, somewhere around there. So for four overtimes, that was a very low-scoring game because, I mean, they all it was was field goals, it seems like. And I think about the Purdue game. Purdue beating U of M with what under 26 seconds left. You've got the Michigan defense has got to be ready for any trick plays, any sort of quirky plays that yeah. late in a game that could decide it right there. And Michigan just was not ready for it. They were just caught off guard. You've always got to be ready for that. You've always got. I think to they were playing more coverage. that Purdue was going for field goal position rather than going for it all, and it cost them. You are listening to the Spartan Sports Show here on the Impact 88.9. I'm Scott. He's Pavel. If you want to get a hold of us, the number here is 432-3893. You can also IM me. I'm pretty sure I've got it up and running. Maybe not. Impact Sports Rap is my screen name. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you want to talk sports with us, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Now, one thing, uh, if you have a comment about this, I'm going to... Throw it out there. Uh, I was watching the coverage, the highlights of the Michigan State-Wisconsin game that night, and I saw it on the Big Ten Network, I saw it on ESPN Sports Center, saw it on College Football Live, but I did not think that any of those highlights really stressed the how big that game-winning field goal by Brett Swenson was. I don't think they really gave it justice seeing how Michigan State battled back. They were getting dominated. They were getting pounded on by their running game. And I think that game-winning field goal, we knew it here. We knew how big that field goal was, escaping with a win in a game we shouldn't have won. Oh, yeah. By no means should we have won that game. And so I, I would imagine the Big Ten Network would be the one that would be you know, stressing it even more because that's their job. They cover the games. But And, and by saying by no means should we have won that game... We're talking during the game with what happened, how we were down, and how those penalties helped us out. We were two minutes left. We should not have won that game. It was somehow we were able to come back due to penalties, due to mistakes by Wisconsin. That's what we mean. Not not that we weren't favorites going in beforehand. We were. That's not what we're trying to say. Yeah, so if you have any comments about that, if you want to talk to us about the coverage of that game and the highlights and how they portrayed that win as not being as big as it was, give us a call, 432-3893, and just uh, throw it out there and give us a call. Talk to us. Of course, then there's there's one other just amazing game that I want. I was excited to watch. I was kind of upset 
they put it on prime time, which hard thing is around here, Saturday nights I tend to go out. So don't really get a chance to watch much of the 8 o'clock primetime game because it ends at about 11. Watch and, it at the bar. Well, I try I'm, I try to watch it wherever I'm at. If I'm at a house, I have them turn it on, and we did. We were able to watch the end. Of course, we're talking Texas, number one Texas, going against number seven Texas Tech. Both teams are undefeated. It has national championship implications all over it, big 12 championships all over it. In Texas's fourth game against a top 11, top 10 team, Missouri was number 11 when they played them, but they played Oklahoma, who was number one, then Missouri, who was number 11, uh, Oklahoma State, who was eight, and then Texas Tech, who was seven. Just a ridiculous test for them. That game, Texas Tech was up. Two different points. They were up 19-0 at one point, and then also 29-13. That game ended up being won on the the final score. I'm I'm not even positive what it is. I'll look at it. Thirty nine thirty three. Texas Tech ended up winning, but Texas scored kicked a field goal to go up thirty three to. It had to be thirty three thirty two. No, it was it was a touchdown. Was it? It was a touchdown that put them up. They were down by six. They ran the entire length of the field and went up by one it was 33 32 they were losing I'm, I'm pretty sure about this they were oh, losing I was looking by it six. up on my computer just I sent you a text message yeah. I sent you a text message saying Texas Tech is up by six Texas is driving they're gonna win by one point that's what yeah. I thought because they were driving they were gonna score a touchdown get seven bam they're gonna lose by one point and I can't I couldn't believe that Texas was gonna escape another week yeah. Against the top ten opponent, it was it was ridiculous. And but lo and behold, there was a, a little over a minute left for Graham Harrell to come down and. I'll hear. It. I did it again. This internet is ridiculous. This computer computer is giving me problems here. I don't even can't even get the final score. But I remember watching it. There's a little over a minute left, and Texas Tech was driving. All they needed was a field goal. And the strange thing, the great thing there is, their field goal kicker was not on. not even really a walk on. You know how we have the competition to kick kick a field goal in between the third and fourth quarters. Well, this kid went out and he nailed a thirty yarder or something, just, just nailed it. The head coach of the football team said, "Go find him. We need him on our team." That's how bad their kicking was at the time. Where they went and found the kid, and he came and tried out and made the team. That that's their kicker. That is the Texas Tech kicker. That reminds me of Michigan State. When yeah, back with we went John out and Goss. got Matt Hoy after yes. John Goss missed those huge kicks against Michigan, mm-hmm. and John L. Smith went out and uh, had an open tryout for anybody on campus to come kick. Found a guy, Matt Hoy. Hey, you want to go come kick for us? Bam. Yeah, that's essentially what it was. And that's all I could think on that last drive as Texas Tech was driving down the field that they had to get it really close because most kickers, you try to put it on about the 33-yard line because a 50-yard kick, is that's really far for college, but that's your ideal yardage. For him, I said you had to get it about the 10 because with his nerves and his lack of experience, well, they had it down and there was not much time left at all. 
And Harold dropped back and threw an out pattern to Michael Crabtree, the phenom sophomore wide receiver. And Crabtree caught it on the sideline. And the, just the catch in, in itself was amazing. It was thrown behind him, so he stopped and was able to get it. The corner kind of overran it. And the safety for Texas came over the top. I have no clue where he was going. He missed the ball, missed the man, didn't do anything. The corner wasn't able to tackle him, couldn't even get him out of bounds. Crabtree was so strong. He was getting pulled out. He was within inches of the sideline, managed to stay in, and ran the extra four yards, scored a touchdown with one second left to go ahead. It was the most ridiculous play I have seen. I was in shock just at how amazing the play was that Michael Crabtree was able to make. Well, you know how in football they talk tell you about how you got to tackle low. The two guys that were on Crabtree, they were standing up. They were trying to tackle mm-hmm. him standing up. They were both trying to tackle him standing up. Crabtree just sheds both of them off. Man, just to stand bounds. I think I think they kind of assumed that he was just going to go mm-hmm. out of bounds and set up for the field goal. Well, he had different thoughts about that, and then of course. It, you were saying how it was over. There's one second left. The fans just went nuts, rushed the field, and this is what I don't understand about people. There's one second left. Look at the clock. I know they're probably drunk. They're pro- they're excited. I mean, it's a huge game, biggest game at Texas Tech in Lubbock that they've ever had, and it's over their rival, number one. They're undefeated. It's huge. I'm not gonna take anything away from that. But look at the clock. There's one second left. You've got to know that the game's not over. They started tearing down the field goal post. Rushing the field, got him cleared off. 15-yard personal foul for rushing the and field. Morris, and then another 15-yard personal foul after that. So the kickoff, their Texas Tech is up six. They have to kick off with one second left. They're kicking off from their own seven-and-a-half-yard line. And now, luckily, they were smart enough to realize Texas was going to fair catch it if they actually kicked it off rather than squib it because... If you fair catch, no time runs off the clock, but you can only fair catch if it's in the air. If it touches the ground, you have to play it, and the clock doesn't start until a player touches the ball. So Texas Tech squibbed it, and they weren't lateraled a few times, but didn't really have a good play set up, and it didn't go anywhere. And Texas Tech won. Graham Harrell, the Texas Tech quarterback, just had crazy numbers. 454. 474. 474. 474 and two touchdowns. Colt McCoy finally looked human. He was 20 of 34 for 294 yards and two touchdowns and an interception. Still great numbers, but with that game, Graham Harrell probably jumped over Colt McCoy in the Heisman race. Oh, absolutely. Or Michael Crabtree. Michael Crabtree's got to be up there too, maybe third or fourth, but Texas doesn't drop down far. They're fourth no. now. Oh, yeah, and the new BCS rankings came out. I've got them right here. Penn State has got to be very upset. And they get jumped by they got Texas jumped. Tech. Yep, they figured if they just keep on winning, they'll be fine. If a team ahead of them loses, they'll they'll move up. Alabama is now number one. They were number two before. They shut out Arkansas State. Not Nothing to be too – I don't think either way about that. They won a game. Then Texas Tech is now number two. They are about a point ahead, or a tenth of a point ahead of Penn State, which I figured it was going to happen. Penn State was idle, and teams that don't play get judged harshly. Just they don't 
people, voters only seem to remember what happened. Their memory goes back to Saturday, and that's it. Because in the USA Today bowl, poll, Texas is behind Oklahoma. Tell me how that's possible. They lost with one second left to a team that was undefeated and is now number two. And somehow they're worse than Oklahoma is, who they beat earlier in the year. It was like three weeks ago they beat Oklahoma. Four weeks ago they beat Oklahoma. I don't understand how that's possible. I hate the fact that it's your most recent game. Oh, you lost a game. Well, you must be worse than all these teams that haven't lost in the last couple weeks. I'm going to make a prediction right now. I think the national championship game will be Texas against Florida. Oh, yeah, I agree. Because I, agree. I think Alabama still has to play Auburn and LSU. They will lose and one of those games. And the SEC championship yeah, game and against the SEC championship Florida. game. Uh, Penn State, I think, even, even if they went out, they're not going to be guaranteed a national championship right. because of their strength of schedule. Right. I mean, and then you have, what, Texas Tech? They, they still have to play, play Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. and Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. Back-to-back weeks, Oklahoma State and Oklahoma Oklahoma's their last game of the year. So I think Texas Tech is due for a letdown as well, just like Texas was playing back-to-back-to-back-to-back top 10 teams. And I think Texas has just, you know, they had their little bump, recover, mm-hmm. win the rest of the win out, and you're there. And same yeah. thing with Florida. No, there's no team playing better oh, yeah. than Florida and maybe USC. If it were, Yeah, if it were up to me, Florida would be number one. And Florida, if I was ranking teams, Florida's number one. Texas is number two, and then as far as Texas, what they've Tech, done lately, yeah. as far as how they're playing right now, Florida's got to be oh, way yeah. up there. Oh yeah, definitely. And USC, they just shut out another team, Second Washington. Team in a row. And I mean, Washington is terrible. Tyrone Willingham's out at the end of the season. They're the they are the Detroit Lions of college football. They've yet to win a game, but I mean, USC they're ranked number seven in the BCS right now. Oklahoma, well, let's just run it out. Alabama's number one, Texas Tech two, Penn State three, Texas four, Florida five, Oklahoma six, USC seven. And then you get into your Utah and other teams. MSU sitting back there at number 18. I really like where we're at. We're 18 in the BCS, 18 in the AP polls. That's really good. If we keep on winning, we could be up high enough where we go to a BCS poll. If we beat Penn State at the end, which I mean... Lots of people are saying right now, if we just simply win out, we go to the Rose Bowl. That's not exactly true. It's not in our own hands right now. Not exactly true. I thought it was last week, but the problem is we have to have Penn State win out until they get to us. Because if Penn State has two losses in the Big Ten, then it's no longer a three-way tie. We're tied with only Ohio State, and since they beat us, they have the tiebreaker on us. But if it's a three-way tie, how crazy it is, then a three-way tie between Penn State, Ohio State, and ourselves, we would win that. I'm not going to argue with how it works. That's just how it is. So we do need, for all you fans who, when you see the score next week, if I was beating Penn State, do not cheer. We have to have Penn State win that game. And then, of course, Ball State sitting right in front of us. I mean, they're... This BCS is crazy. There's a bunch of non-BCS teams in there. You've got Boise State, TCU, BYU, Ball State, all these crazy teams. I think these teams, these teams might lose by the end of the year. I mean, there's always teams that just go down right at the end of the year, think they're 
you know, home, sweet home, but they're right there. But they have a letdown right at the end of the year when they think they've made it to the promised land unbeatens. Yep. So, um, and I think, I hate to look ahead, but looking past Purdue, sort of, looking at that Penn State matchup, Penn State's not all it's correct, they're correct out to be. Their big win is against Ohio State. Which they look terrible. Both yeah, teams. They and who knows if Daryl Clark, yeah, who knows yeah. if Daryl Clark, their quarterback, is is all there right now. He got knocked around in that game. And who knows? But they were they were idle this week. They had their bye. And the best thing about it is we have our bye the week before we play them. So we have to take care of business at home next week on Saturday against Purdue, which is a noon game for everybody. And hopefully hopefully fans will wake up and get to the game. I it's know the last it was home game of the year. Yeah, I know it was on Saturday, it was the day after Halloween. I was out very late and I made it up. I was at the game. Granted, I didn't go out and tailgate beforehand. It was a little easier for me. But I know it's a noon game. You don't want to wake up. The student section was very lacking. And I was I was very disappointed. And I was surprised. I was shocked. I figured after we beat U of M, come back for our home game. We're ranked in the top 25. We're just rolling in the season. Great timing. The fan support was not there. Not there. Who knows if if we win next week? It's two weeks to prepare for Penn State. That's the thing that worries me is that, well, the thing that really is in our favor is that I think we've got a lot to prove after having that Ohio State game hyped up. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna beat them. We think we're gonna beat them. We have a great shot, and then they smash us. Yes, I think we are out to prove. That the next time we play a high-ranked opponent like that, which is Penn State, I think we've got a lot to prove. I think we want to show the world that, you know, don't judge us by how we played against Ohio State. And I think we're getting our passing game going, and I think we need to because you don't know how Javon Ringer's going to be with that run defense and health-wise. Right. So we're getting our passing game going. Blair White's emerged as a target downfield. Over 150 Absolutely. yards. So Blair White, B.J. Cunningham, Mark Dell, Charlie Gant, our passing game's getting going. If Mark, if Brian Horry could just put them in a good position to catch balls, I think we can really pick apart that Penn State pass The thing defense. we have to worry about is injuries. Mark Dell was out. He was not 100%. They didn't want to risk it. Cunningham got nicked up. Gant's been nicked up throughout the year. And our secondary, defensive secondary is just, I don't know how they're, taped together out there basically but who knows that should be good this is the spartan sports app here on the impact 89 fm the number here is 432-3893 now coming up we've got on wednesday starts the men's basketball season we have an exhibition game against northern michigan now right now we're we're uh number eight number eight most people have tabbed Purdue to win the Big Ten. But we're ahead of them in the rankings. Somehow. It's crazy. I can explain that. Okay. Well, hold on. We'll get to that in a minute. There's other things. I want people to call in. I want people's reaction. We didn't get anybody on the first team, Big Ten. And we, did, we did. Or was Raymar put yeah, on it? Yeah, Raymar was. was on it. We yeah. got no one in the national pitcher, though, really. And Kalen Lucas is probably the closest. I, I want to hear people's opinions on how they think the season's going to go. So I'll give people time to call in. We'll talk about some other things that have been going on around here. 
people people may not remember, and I've always complained to my friends. They ask what I always talk about on here, and I was like, well, anything that happens from Monday night until Thursday is kind of irrelevant because we're only on on Mondays. So when the Phillies won the World Series on Wednesday, people kind of forget about it. I forgot that it happened during this week. And, I mean, the Phillies, they, I was cheering for them all year, and they won the World Series on Wednesday. I forgot already. But it was a fantastic game, just crazy, crazy way that it ended. They were supposed to play Game 5 on Monday. They started it, got suspended in the sixth inning, which Bud Selig just basically did everything for the Tampa Bay Rays to come back into that game. They ended up finishing it out on Wednesday because the weather was so terrible. And the Phillies won, I think, 4-3. Brad Lidge got the save. Cole Hamels was named the MVP of the series. And... Now there's this big controversy of they should play the World Series in a warm weather neutral site. And I do not know where these people are getting that idea. And they're highly like credible sources. And I do not understand how they could ever, ever do that. Oh, it is absolutely appalling because I think the teams have worked so hard to get the, to the World Series that it is the reward. It is an achievement to have... A World Series home game played in and your it's a stadium. seven game series. Yes. So you're just gonna pick. Oh well, let's just go play in Houston. Let's just go play seven games in Houston. We've got New York Mets against Boston. If you're you gonna move if, them down there, that makes zero sense. If you have a neutral site, then what are you gonna play for in the All Star game? Exactly. Nobody really has a order. home field. Batting order. You know, and on another note, I mean, Bud Selig has had the mo- the craziest tenure as a commissioner. Oh, like the definitely. craziest of anybody, any commissioner in any sport. I mean, he's had to put up with the tie in Milwaukee for the All-Star game. He's had to deal with the steroid controversy. He dealt with this controversy, you know, pushing the game back Moving two days. Moving that, that yeah. Chicago Cubs-Houston Astros makeup game to Milwaukee. I mean, he's dealt with so much that everybody, he takes so much heat. But he's done a fine job. Yes, have you no know, just basically keeping their league running. Yeah, and you know it's still one of the best leagues, one of the most successful leagues, the MLB. So you got to give him credit as much as everybody loves to knock on him. I do. I, I, I do too. Sometimes I don't care for what he's done. Well, then I just had to add that in. I mean, Philadelphia. I was rooting for him. You were rooting for the Rays. Yeah, it was four, four games it was a good to one. It was. It was a great story. And then, of course, another great story, the Philadelphia, or, jeez, reading the wrong line. Men's soccer. Men's soccer. Men's soccer, out of nowhere, they won the Big Ten title, regular season Big Ten title this year. Joe Baum, head coach in his last year, finally wins it. First time they've done it. They won the Big Ten tournament a couple years back. But they won, they beat Northwestern, won zip, and they are now the Big Ten champions. They're going on to the tournament, and... Autumn's waving her arms frantically out there. Apparently, we have a caller. A caller? A caller. I know. It's been a while. Hey, caller. What's going on? What's your name? Uh, my name is Eddie, man. I've called a couple times before. But I uh-huh. uh, uh, just wanted a couple comments uh, about the, uh, the the Texas-Texas Tech game and that, that grab that uh, Crabtree had on the sideline at the yes. end there. I don't know if you guys are watching closely. I mean, I was at the local watering hole having some you who and stuff. But uh, of course. it looked like his heel hit, hit the line, to tell you the truth. And I I saw it as his toe was up. His heel was up. His toes were down. It 
looked very, very close to me, and it seemed like the announcers didn't even, you know, give it a second glance. They just shrugged it off to me. But perhaps it was the you talking. I don't know. <laughs> it um, very well could be. <laughs> as far as the uh, the live quarterback situation, I don't see how you can't start standing. I mean, oh, yeah. Culpepper has only had a week to even think about learning the plays. Yeah. And so, there, I mean, there's nobody else there besides Stanton, who's had two years. But. Right. And, I mean, he might be a little banged up, but, I mean, at least you know he knows the playbook. He knows the offense. He's, you know, he's not just coming in after not playing all all year, you know. Yeah, it's and the he, NFL. You you play hurt. You play when you're a little dinged up. You you don't play when it's something like a broken bone, a broken arm or something. You, that's when you don't play. If you're a little dinged up, you still can play. Right. I mean, guys play with concussions all the time. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, years ago. Look at Troy Palomalu. How many concussions has he had? He's going to play tonight after suffering his last concussion last week. I think he's got about 11 concussions. <laughs> yeah, somewhere around there. Well, who but, knows? Uh, the Lions always do crazy things, though. I wouldn't be surprised if Culpepper starts. Well, I grew up in Minnesota, so I'm a Lions fan, but i got to root for my bike. <laughs> oh, there you go. There <laughs> but, you go. Uh, at any rate, that's a whole different bottle of wax I don't even want to get started on. But uh, one last thing I wanted to touch on is uh, the whole AI trade. And yes. I don't think you necessarily have to uh, bench uh, Rip and put him as your sixth man. I think AI, if you can put his ego aside, would be probably the best sixth man in the league. Ooh, I wow! Put him on the bench. bench. I don't think that would fly with him. Oh, like I, I like you say, said, his ego is too big. I, I'm a, I'm agreeing with you. His ego is the size of Texas. But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, it's something that you know you know they're going to tweak around. You know, Curry is just going to you know dink around a little bit and mess with that lineup. We might, we might even have three guards starting, you know, for a while. Of course. Of course. Well, thank but, you very uh, much for your call there, Eddie. Hey, thank you, Eddie. Keep calling us back in weeks hey, to come. No problem. I'm going to be at that Pistons game on Sunday against the Celtics, so I'll oh, keep an eye out First-hand experience there. Yes, yes, sir. So All right. I'll call you if I see anything special. Awesome. Thank All you. All right. Take care, Eddie. Take it easy, buddy. All right. And then another thing I forgot to point out, that Texas Tech game. Texas dropped an interception just before yes, that play, that touchdown. Did. I remember. I thought right Eddie was going to bring that up. His hands. I thought for sure he was going to bring that I up. I can't believe I forgot I forgot about that. I know. Wow. I know. We both, it slipped our mind because of how amazing that play was. That was the game right there. But in what Eddie was talking about, I do remember what he was talking about. His toes, Crabtree's toes were down and his, his heel was up. And I'm sure they review every single play that happens. They don't have an official review, but there are people looking at every play, and they had a bunch of time. I'm sure that they looked at it over and over and made sure. He bobbled the ball a little, but he was strong enough to stay through that. Now, the other thing is, an interesting story we were talking about just before we came on the air. There's Monday Night Football tonight. should be a fantastic game. You've got the 5-2 and two Pittsburgh Steelers playing at the 6-2 and two Washington Redskins. Now, the line... The line for the game, the betting line, is even. Nobody's given points wow. to anybody. It's straight up even. Just pick your winner. There's no spread. Now, there's a little bit more added into this. In years past, there's a history going. I can't remember the exact numbers. But with the Washington Redskins, obviously they're from Washington, D.C., not Washington, the state, if anybody was confused about that. But the their game the week before, or... Their most recent game before the election, national election, if the Redskins win that game, then the party that's in office typically wins. So if the Redskins win tonight, the numbers and just the strange coincidence and the trend will show 
that the Republican Party, since they're in office, will win the election and John McCain would be the president. However, if the Redskins lose, then Barack Obama and the Democrats, the Democratic Party would win. So it's a little crazy. Something something extra to watch for and to cheer. You can cheer even harder for one team or another now. all So all you Democrats out there, you would want to root for the Steelers. All the Republicans, you'd want to root for the Redskins. Me personally, I just think it's going to be a great game. I'm not sure. Both those teams are – they're both unbelievable. Pittsburgh is leading the way in their division, and Washington is just – Surprising everybody, they're six and two. Clinton Portis has run for over 120 yards. That's the matchup you want to see because the Steelers haven't given up a hundred yard rusher exactly, and I don't remember when. And Clinton Portis, he's going to get over a thousand yards. He's going to try to tonight, first running back to do that yep. in the NFL. So it's a really interesting matchup. Um, I have the Steelers defense in my fantasy team, <laughs> so I don't know about that. Yep, I need them to score 27 points. I don't know if that. I don't think that's possible. And then, of course, I said that I'd get to it. I'll touch on it for a few seconds. It always makes me feel better when I don't have to talk for a while about the Detroit Lions. The Lions lost to the Bears, twenty-seven to twenty-three. They scored. The Lions says scored all twenty-three points in the second quarter, and then lost. Just gave it away. They're finding new ways to lose. Uh, Kyle it's, uh, Orton was got so injured. Kyle Orton's injured. He sadly he's sprained. Got a high ankle sprain. He's out at least a month now. And then Rex Grossman came in, led him on a touchdown drive. And all he has to do is hand it off to Matt Forte. Oh yeah, that's all. And then the Colts and a good and what used to be a great game beat the Patriots eighteen to fifteen. Tampa Bay and probably the best game came back to beat Kansas City. And then I like to rub this in your face. We'll end with this. Uh, the Red Wings went five one and one on their latest road trip, their longest road trip of the season. They were out on the West Coast, beat the Canucks last night three two. Do believe that the Red Wings are in first place in the division? I'm not surprised. Me I just neither. think that Sarah Palin has cursed the Blues. Well, you she, wouldn't think that. She was the whole reason for our goalie's injury, you know. So, complain, complain, make excuses. Now, next week, noon game, Purdue, Purdue. Boilermakers, and on Wednesday, coming up seven o'clock, I Northern do believe Michigan. Northern Michigan men's basketball tips off. It's been a great hour. Thank you, Eddie, for calling in. Autumn for engineering this. Bob, we'll toss it up to Buddha with the Jazz Spectrum next. Don't forget to call in whenever you feel like. Get us with some questions next time. Watch some sports. Tune in next week. See you later. You've been listening to the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Tune in every week for more of the greatest sports information, news, and analysis. Here and only here on Impact 89FM.